0: A profound, semi autobiographical coming of age story set to song. A reason to turn the holidays up to 11. And something we never thought we wanted from one of history's most legendary rock bands. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. So it can definitely be difficult to find the silver linings in the year that just was. 2020 was really difficult for a lot of people in a lot of ways, but I can safely say that doing this podcast was a massive highlight for myself and the team at Soundfly. We really had no idea what we were getting into starting a podcast with that first demo episode featuring Marty and Mejia, where we talked about songs from the first album we ever bought, and here we are, 10 episodes deep. Might not seem like a lot, but most podcasts don't even make it to their eighth, so that was a big goal that we set, and we reached it in big part because of you, the listener. There are about a billion and one podcasts out there now. And for anybody that just listened to even just a fraction of an episode this year, our sincerest thanks to you for myself and the Soundfly team. We have some incredible guests lined up for 2021, some amazing episodes already recorded. We're going to keep pushing themes and variation. We hope you come along with us for the ride. And hey, if you're not sure that you're on old St. Nick's good list, or hey, maybe you had the best year possible, maybe you were on the team that created the COVID vaccine and you're just like the best person in the history of people for 2020, please consider one more huge act of goodwill by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and share the show with your friends. It would mean the absolute world to us. So for our last theme of the year, we thought we'd do something a little fun and unpack some unexpected holiday tracks. Simply put, these are tracks that are at least loosely tied to the holidays that you very likely will not find on any Christmas or holiday playlist. And of course, joining me on this episode are my frequent co-host and co-producer, Mahaya Lee. We're joined by a special guest, Soundfly's head of digital marketing, Zoe Young. Zoe is just absolutely brilliant and hilarious, and I knew we had to get her on the podcast before the end of the year. And as she says on the episode, she's not actually a musician, but her perspective on language and lyrics is incredible. I think you'll agree she absolutely knocks it out of the park on this episode. So just a quick disclaimer before we jump into the episode. This episode touches on some sensitive issues in the spirit of perspectives and open dialogue. Our intent is always to learn together and to revel in our shared passion for music. That comes with the understanding that we'll always aim to treat the opinions of our listeners, panelists, and the community at large with tolerance and respect. No matter what you're celebrating this holiday season, we wish you all the very best. And without further ado, let's get into the episode, Unexpected Holiday Songs. Mehe how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing just as well as I was 10 minutes ago when I saw your face in person.
0: Good to see that you're still doing well as of uh, the last 10 minutes. And a very special guest, Zoe Young. How are you doing today, Zoe?
2: I'm doing about as well as when I saw you guys an hour ago on a team meeting.
0: (laughs) Excellent news. And, And good to know that things haven't changed in the last hour as well. So, guys, today we are talking unexpected holiday tracks. Do you have a favorite holiday music memory? at all like any just favorite <laughs> memory that is rela- it has to relate to music in some way of course
2: a track that I tried to shoehorn into the theme just because I wanted to talk about it it's my favorite and also it is the worst Christmas song that I believe has ever <laughs> oh, been written yeah. <laughs> is Christmas Shoes it was almost Christmas time and there I stood in another line trying to buy that last gift or two.
0: not really in the christmas mood standing right in front of me was a little boy yeah so it's
2: like this song that was written by a production house for this like christian rock band who has no other hits huh. if you went to high school in north carolina in the late 90s early 2000s It was on the radio almost constantly. And it was always like some like sort of middle-aged mom in her minivan calling into the radio station already weeping to request Christmas shoes. And it happened like twice an hour on every radio station for years. And then one of my best friends discovered it in university um, when I was living in, up in Montreal, where she hadn't grown up with it as this like constant weeping song that was just on everywhere. <laughs> and we just became obsessed. And it in my apartment in university, we played this song for like, like not even Thanksgiving. Like we started it in June and like just <laughs> kept it going all year round. It's Christmas Eve And these shoes are just her size could you hurry, sir?
0: Daddy says there's not much time. You see, she's been sick for quite a while. And
1: I, I think my favorite might be the first time I celebrated Christmas with your family, Carter, up in Canada. And you have a mom who bakes regularly, and that it turns out all of your dad's siblings play music, and they played like Almond Brothers style music on Christmas Day together. And. Carter even has cousins who also went to music conservatories. So it was like 12 different people who went up one after the other. And I found it like super intimidating as a lifelong musician. It was amazing.
2: Totally. That doesn't sound like a positive holiday experience. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, I got to practice Christmas is coming up. <laughs> Pressure's on.
0: <laughs> Just to shoehorn it in my own holiday music memory. I remember for whatever reason uh i really wanted to go caroling cuz i was like really into the i was like 8 years old or 9 years old and uh there was a blizzard outside and my parents like refused to go They're like that's a dumb idea why would you go do that my mom had like a cd of christmas carols I grabbed the CD jacket that had all the lyrics printed on it and I just went and stood outside at the end of my parents driveway like singing Christmas songs by myself to nobody just like in the middle of this blizzard. Uh and that's a that's a memory that I think will stick with me forever.
1: That's a nice one. That's very sweet.
2: I know. The takeaway the takeaway of the podcast is Carter's just deeply wholesome and and profoundly Canadian. I know.
1: Yep.
0: Yep. yep. That is, the, that is the theme of, of uh, Theme and Variations. I would like to start with certainly uh, a couple tracks that I thought about doing that I actually didn't do. I thought about doing, of course, Wham's Last Christmas, but Zoe, you stumbled upon a phenomenon known as Whamageddon.
2: Whamageddon is a game, a, an internet game. Um, the rules mm-hmm. are pretty simple. You have to make it from December 1st to December, to Christmas Eve, just night of December 24th without hearing Wham's classic (laughs) Whamageddon last Christmas. Classic Whamageddon track. Without hearing (laughs) Wham's classic Christmas tune last Christmas, if you hear it when you're out Mm -hmm. shopping, you have to tell the friends with whom you are playing Whamageddon that you have been knocked out of the competition. It's an honor-based game.
0: (laughs) So this episode being released on December 23rd, presumably maybe there are some listeners that are... You know, are, are competing in and have made it this far. They have one more day. I didn't pick it because it would be a shame, of course, if we did play last Christmas and then being so close to getting uh, That would really be a shame, I think, wouldn't it? They're-
2: Carter, I am proud to be part of the m- murder-suicide scenario <laughs> that is happening here. It is, it's is—it's mass murder, and I'm ready for it. Whoa. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Darkest oh, episode
0: man. yet. Yeah, this is so... D- this is a <laughs> oh, holiday wait, episode. Wait, you haven't heard my
2: pick yet.
0: <laughs> um. All right, on a, on a lighter note, I did... On a lighter uh, note... I- <laughs> How do you like that segue? No, I, I there's one more that I I really considered doing and it was uh Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings just another Christmas song. I'm just
2: another Christmas song
1: with this dad, I'll sing along. I'm just another
2: Christmas song with this dad, I'll sing along.
0: I'm dreaming of they did a, a whole Christmas album mm-hmm. and it's legitimately of course incredible as you would expect from Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings but that's not fun to talk about incredible (laughs) songs so instead I picked this track We are, of course, listening to Spinal Tab's Christmas with the Devil. Not to be confused, there's an actual compilation record called Christmas with the Devil. Uh, Iggy Pop is on it singing White Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm going to try my best to avoid just quoting the movie while I talk about this tune. but
2: This was not featured in the movie, was it?
0: No, it was not. It was actually added to 1984's This Is Spinal Tap for the CD re-release in the year 2000. This was included on 1992's The Return of Spinal Tap, which is a live concert film. Can we just ruminate on the the fact that this band played at Royal Albert Hall? Like, that is so I mean, that's wild. They musically hold
1: up. That's the thing, is, like, they are triple threat dudes, like, all of them.
0: This track now lives side-by-side side with the classics, Hellhole uh, Tonight I'm Gonna Rock You Tonight. And this one actually follows the tap classic, Give Me Some Money, GSM. That's uh, one of my
3: favorites.
0: So the album, of course... Uh, this is Spinal Tap. None more black. It's just the pitch black record that was in the movie. It was called "Smell the Glove" and was just completely black, which foreshadowed some actual albums. Yeah. Metallica's black album did that. David Bowie's Black Star did that. So many did. If a if a record came out right now and it was just totally pitch black, I think we'd think like that is sick. That is amazing. That's like <laughs> a brilliant marketing play. Um, but of course, had to. Had to bring that up. Well, in the Um, movie,
1: it's a play on the White Album, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So
1: like, the idea already worked.
0: (laughs) So this track, Christmas with the Devil, was produced, of course, by Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, and Harry Shearer, also known as Nigel Tufnell. David St. Hubbins, who is uh, named after the patron saint of quality footwear. And uh, Derek Smalls, uh, it was written by the same three. And Rob Reiner, of course, was uh, given a writing credit on this. This track kicks off with a quintessential tap riff or like that era of music, just a minor pentatonic. (laughs) You just know what you're in for when a song kicks off with a riff like mm, that.
2: Yeah, it gets, gets you in the mood.
0: Absolutely. It doesn't get you in the mood for Christmas yet, for sure, but uh, <laughs> no. but it gets you in some kind of mood. Wait,
1: did, did you see the live performance where uh, Michael McKean starts off by talking about how the devil cares about you 365 yep. days a year?
0: <laughs> you know, we weren't around here last December. But if we had been, we would have had a very special message for you from someone who touches all of our lives from time to time. Sometimes you catch a glimpse of him in the pitch darkness of your room at night when you know you've done something terrible during the day. You know who I'm talking about. He wishes you well. Oh, yes, he does. And he wants you to have the very happiest of holidays wherever you are. Some things just to note about this track. You have the vintage 80s uh snare, that super wide, verby sound. That, like every single... Like Def Leppard, I feel like, was mostly... You listen to Pour Some Sugar on I me. Mean, it's just this super mm. wide snare. <laughs> what is your favorite parody band of all time?
2: Have you guys watched and then also listened to... The Documentary Now, Bill Hader, Fred oh, yeah. um uh, Blue Jean Committee? That, thank you. That's exactly... Yeah. No, wait. The that's Talking, talking one Heads I was going one, for. right? The Talking Heads one. Yeah. The Documentary Now episode for it is so good because it's so perfectly the Top Talking Heads documentary. And then sort of looking in Ian and I looked... My husband and I looked it up because we were like, what is this like how did they film this and they actually put on like a two hour long live show in san francisco oh, oh. at a big theater <laughs> That's amazing. and it's like the whole thing is real like Wait, the fans Bill Hater screaming in, in the audience Amazon? like yeah they they <laughs> played like a full two hour long set of this music like there's so much more that didn't make it into the 45 minute cut so of the funny. documentary and it's just like it's so far out of your way to go to like write and create songs that could have been performed by the talking heads (laughs) love like it's genius it's so good
0: was it test pattern was that test
2: pattern that's exactly right
3: hey carter Have you heard about Soundfly's new subscription?
0: Let's say I haven't.
3: I think it's something you'd be super into. You know about Soundfly's courses, right?
0: Of course I do. Not only are they highly engaging, they make it possible for us to do this show.
3: Right. And you know about the premium courses, right?
0: You mean like modern pop vocal production or orchestration for strings?
3: Yep. Or faders up one, modern mix techniques, introduction to making music in Logic Pro. Or advanced synths and patch design for producers.
0: Or songwriting for producers? Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Well, as a Soundfly subscriber, you'd get access to all of those and more. Plus, an invitation to our online community of students, mentors, and Soundfly team members, like you and me. A subscription's perfect if you want to explore at your own pace, it's still like the idea of a helpful community of expert professionals and passionate hobbyists standing by, ready to help.
0: Wow, when you put it like that, it sounds like an existential conundrum for me personally, and a pretty sweet deal for just about anyone else.
3: It is a sweet deal for just about anyone, and it gets even sweeter. Anyone listening to this episode can use the code THEMES to get an exclusive discount at soundfly.com. Because at Soundfly, we want to help you reach your musical goals.
0: Mahe, your favorite parody band?
1: I mean the beats from Doug. I guess parody implies you're making fun of something. They're my favorite fictional band for sure.
2: Banging on a trash can, banging on a street light.
0: Another staple of this era to me is how thin the bass is mixed. You can hear it in this track for sure. I think it's mostly because it's panned a little bit, but it's just so thin. And from what I discovered is that one of the reasons for that is that mastering vinyl required that you lop off a lot of the low end so that the needle wouldn't actually bounce on the <laughs> record when you played. it. An example of this that I didn't think I was going to talk about Metallica today but I'm totally going to talk about Metallica And <laughs> Justice for All is like the known record that wears the bass on it. So listen mm. to the actual recording of this is Blackened from Injustice for All. so there's supposed to be bass right now what a guy actually made a remix record where he enhanced the bass and called it and justice for jason jason (laughs) newstead the bass player at the time so now listen to the bass in the remixed enhanced bass version
2: yeah there's bass in this song
0: It sounds better. It's maybe a little too beefy. The main reason why this happened is Lars Ulrich was basically hazing Jason Newstead, which I think is awful. But he would go into every... Yes, he would go into every mix session and be like, got to turn the bass down. Make the bass so it's barely audible. Lars is not known for his mixing prowess, honestly. If you listen to St. Anger... More
2: for his, like, congeniality. <laughs> not at all.
0: No, he's not the the nicest person. But that whole record, St. Anger, there's a very strange snare sound. The snare is literally locked for the entire record. I think it's one of the funniest things to ever happen in music like and, and metal, specifically. Yes. Yeah, so what happened was he was in a, a rehearsal room getting ready to practice and dropped a stick on a snare drum by mistake, and the snare was closed. And he was like, whoa, this could be (laughs) revolutionary. So he played an entire album with this super thin, tinny snare sound, which makes no sense. I'm going to get us back on track with uh, Christmas with the Devil with some lyrics. (laughs) Because the lyrics are absolutely incredible. The opening line The elves are dressed in leather and the angels are in chains. Christmas with the devil. The sugar plums are rancid and the stockings are in flames. And you get some more Christmas with the devil.
1: So we got an XAXA rhyme scheme going there because lines two and four rhyme and lines one and three do not.
0: And you get that in this next part, which is my favorite part as we build up to the guitar solo. There's a demon in my belly and a gremlin in my brain. There's someone up the chimney hole. And Satan is his name (laughs) How good is that That, That's classic St. Hubbins right there That is classic That's
2: holiday poetry
0: Guys, let's get into this guitar solo. I well, am dying to talk about it. <laughs> it falls into the category of being so bad, it's good. And I say all of this, honestly, as somebody who's taken a lot of bad solos in their day when you're like learning to improvise, it, it's very tough. You got to get your technical chops together, your motivic development chops together. It's hard to play a really good solo. And the, the, this song is meant to be, it's on a comedy album. So that there's that opening line, that really sounds like it was something that was practiced for hours on end. So Nigel Tufnell's ready. He's like, he's been practicing this lick. He can't wait to get to the solo. And then you kind of biff it, and then you're just stuck after, yeah. like, this was supposed to be my opening big guitar solo line, and it did not go as planned. That's followed by a really weak, what I'm calling a "well, I have to play something" line. <laughs> I can't just I can't just stand there and not play anything. That lands on the thirteen, and it it the 13's fine if you're gonna land on it. Yeah. It just doesn't fit with this style of music. He tries one more cohesive idea that does not land. And then the classic, I've done this, is the classic, like, get me out of this solo trick where you just play some weird loopy slides and bends. You're just hoping to catch some notes that, like, work along the way. Studio time's
2: expensive. They couldn't do multiple takes. They, like, they had to nail it right then and that or what if they'd been working on it for weeks and this is the best they did <laughs> you should be thankful for the guitar solo that you have <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I, as a as a third option i think that this could have totally been written in this way and yeah. prepared in this way for this track i i think that that's yeah, yeah. totally possible it's nigel tufnell doing tufnell things it again it's so bad that it's good hey you mentioned h john benjamin he has a piano trio record where he does not play piano. He is not a piano player at all. But he did buy studio time to make a record where he hires an incredible jazz trio and he just plays piano and like. It's, it's so them. good. There is another version of this track uh, that appears on, if, if you get this on Apple Music, it's actually the, the original version of Christmas with the Devil that you'll hear, uh, but it does appear on their album Break Like the Wind. It features Steve Lukather, Joe Satriani, Slash, and Jeff Beck on guitar, so monster guitar players, and it sounds uh, quite a bit different. So come on! Let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you this on every track. Would this go on your holiday playlist?
2: Absolutely. Carter, I think you nailed this. (laughs) I think this is an objectively perfect choice. And the fact that it was not previously in the holiday canon is a crime.
0: (laughs) Awesome. This is Spinal Tap. Wishing you and yours the most joyous of holiday seasons.
3: God bless us, everyone.
0: Zoe, are there any tracks that you considered other than the one that we're about to listen to for unexpected holiday tracks?
2: So you guys told me the theme, and (laughs) I had nothing. I tried to shoehorn in a few songs that I wanted to talk about, like Christmas Shoes, the worst song of all time, Christmas song of all time, or... uh, Fairy Tale of New York, The Pogues is a favorite, but obviously Mm -hmm. neither of those are unexpectedly holiday. They're obvious holiday. Um, So then I read like a dozen listicles and nothing really resonated. I didn't want to talk about something that I hadn't heard of the day before. Mm -hmm. Um, So I gave up and I went to bed and my one and a half year old woke me up crying at 430 in the morning. And I get him calmed down, and I let him crawl into bed with me. And as I'm looking down at his little angelic demon <laughs> face because he's been up every night this week, because he's been up every night this week, the counting crow's song "Long December" pops into my head I wish you would." Because it's been a long December, and there's reason to believe that maybe this year will be better than the last. But my mind kept going down this rabbit hole, trying to think of songs that were unexpected, not because of the artist or the arrangement, but unexpected in the way that Die Hard is an (laughs) unexpected Christmas Mm. movie, just because they're set at Christmas. So I'm going down this rabbit hole, lying in bed. If it's not clear by now, I did not get back to sleep. And (laughs) I... I'm trying to come up with songs that mention lyrically Christmas or the Hanukkah or New Year's or whatever that aren't explicitly Christmas songs. And there are just so few of them. And so the one song I could come up with sort of early morning is the song that I chose, which we can listen to now.
0: 6 a.m. Day after Christmas Throw some clothes on in the dark. The smell of cold, car seat is freezing. The world is sleeping. I am.
2: So, what we're listening to here is Ben Folds Brick. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is the autobiographical tale of two high schoolers sneaking out to end a pregnancy. Um, So, you know, just a classic holiday (laughs) song trope um, really obviously belongs in the canon. This is Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's no way this was like a very ill-conceived choice that I made at 430 in the morning sleepless. So where so where I wanted to go with it, why I think it's yeah. Something that's worth talking about. And I developed a whole like theory here. And it is possible that this podcast episode goes up and in the comments, like 7,000 people jump on it to totally refute my theory. But here is my theory. As a little bit of background, I have the shamefully least musical background of anyone on the Soundfly team. But I do consider myself sort of a writer and an editor. And Mm -hmm. I was an English major back in the day. Um, And so I'm interested in the word choice and the connotative power of the lyrics. Yeah. And I think the fact that this song has its sort of temporality makes it just a more powerful, more nostalgic song than it would have been otherwise. Mm. So yeah, I, I woke up in the morning and I start Googling to look for other songs that mention Christmas lyrically. That aren't Christmas songs. And there are just so few of them. What sort of sets Brick apart is that one of those like best practices in songwriting, one of the pieces of advice that we talk about most often on our blog is that you start with a real specific experience when you're writing, but then you have to abstract it out to the emotions of the Mm -hmm. experience. So it's something your audience can relate to and that Mm. they can project their own experiences onto so that listeners who don't have the experience that you have can still find resonance in your song. And so my theory is that Christmas is just too full of connotations and it winds up being distracting. Mm. Either you're placing a song in time and that takes away that universality of the theme or it's just distracting. You say Christmas and and your audience starts thinking about their own experiences of Christmas and it's different than what you're talking about in the song
0: she's a brick So I never doubted your ability to whatever song that you picked was going to to make sense. I just thought that maybe it would take a little bit longer to win me over. You won me over in like thirty seconds of, nice. of that break. Okay, yeah.
2: So like I want the like soaring political speech background music Yeah. as I'm arguing that this wildly inappropriate song belongs in the holiday canon.
1: Like The point you're making about like the connotations people have about Christmas, I never thought about it, but that word sets the tone and the scene for the song in a way that I never thought about.
2: Christmas has the connotation of excitement. There's all this childlike wonder. Mm-hmm. There's all this levity, all leading up to a specific day. And then that day happens. And that specific excitement and levity are over. Yeah. You start thinking about getting back to real life. Maybe it turns into like going out shopping on Boxing Day or eating leftovers or like, but whatever, that moment of excitement and magic has a hard end. Connect that to where the two characters are in the song and in their relationship. Mm -hmm. They're young, they're in high school. You imagine they've been going through that all-consuming excitement of like an early relationship when you're young Mm -hmm. and just that like stomach in your throat stuff. And then wham, they get hit hard by the real world with the like consequences of their excesses and that excitement and levity from their sort of youth of a few months ago hits this hard stop. I think it's just really remarkable that in that single phrase, he's conjured so much emotion and he's dropped the listener into the world that he's living in in as Mm -hmm. sort of the speaker in that moment
0: it did put me in that feeling of like imagine having to deal with something so heavy in a time where you should really just be thinking about like i'm gonna be with my family i'm gonna eat great food i'm gonna be having a good time like this is the most happy time of the year but you have to deal with a situation that is so heavy that juxtaposition is is extremely powerful
2: yeah and there's really only one other like lyrical reference to the time of year and it's later in the song where he says that he goes to sell some gifts that I got which is just one more gut punch like if you were thinking they were doing okay just to be clear here's a child going out the day after Christmas to sell his presents
0: It's 730 mm-hmm. I pace around
2: Some gifts that I got. You... where my argument and this is where i want like the backing track of like soaring yeah. political movie <laughs> climax soundtrack of like Dada! um it's not a song about christmas but i think if you take the time and place that he's established in the song out of the song it's just not as powerful yeah um Yes. That by starting the song at 6 a.m. the day after Christmas, you're dropping this this bomb of emotion in someone's lap, and it really fuels the rest of the song. Um, so that's why it's my unexpected Christmas song. And uh, I before I go like too hard on like Ben folds as a genius, he wrote an autobiography um, where he does a chapter on this song, and it really did happen to him and to his girlfriend, and it really did happen the day after Christmas. Whoa. He may have just stumbled upon the part of the song that I think makes it really sort of profound from the outside. As soon as that piano line starts, you are just in this world of nostalgia and, and it's so sentimental, but sort of sadly sentimental. How does he do it?
1: It's not so much that the chord progression is outside of the box in any way. It's the specific little things. In the song, the bulk of what we're hearing is just a movement between D and G. But G is um, it's a 6-9 chord. So instead of just having like G, B, D, like a standard G chord, there's an A in there and there's an E in there. When you use tensions like that and the, the seventh of the chord isn't super prevalent, it creates like a softer, more gray area sound, you know? It like blurs the lines a little bit harmonically and makes the emotional impact more, like it's more of a floating sound than just like a, we're here and then we're here.
0: The biggest thing for me on this track, because like, like this is a massive hit, I don't, remember it as such i didn't listen to ben folds i was one of the guys that was like ben folds five like where are the other two guys i didn't get the joke (laughs) at first but the instrumentation you have drums with brushes yeah but then of course the upright bass playing arco Mm -hmm. with a bow that is so rare i saw an interview with with ben folds talking about robert sledge the bass player who had just gotten this bass and was like just learning how to play it and they recorded this track in their home like in a bedroom again just a very bold move a departure from everything playing like rock and piano trio songs to have this be the the big hit is is really cool does this go on your holiday playlist because i was i thought i was gonna say no for sure i would put it on there i wouldn't want to have to explain it to anybody why it's on there for sure be like guys don't listen too close
2: i
1: think if this was on your holiday playlist. People would assume it was like a um, an AI thing. You know, like, oh, the word Christmas <laughs> is in it. So the algorithm figured it out.
2: It's such a nostalgic sound that yes. if, if it came on and you weren't paying attention, you'd be like, okay, it's just like a wistful playlist. Totally.
0: All right, Maha, let's... Uh... Let's talk about your uh, song.
1: Oh, my gosh. I like almost don't want to, but I really do.
0: I'm very excited. Um, Do you want to start with songs that you thought about picking but didn't?
1: The two songs that I thought about the longest before arriving where I did were um, Sufjan's Christmas Unicorn. I'm a
0: Christmas unicorn.
1: And then the other thing I thought about doing was the David Bowie, Bing Crosby, Peace on Earth (laughs) slash Little Drummer Boy. yeah supposedly the Peace on Earth part was written because Bowie was down to sing with Bing Crosby but was not interested in singing Little Drummer Boy. (laughs) So they Uh, just wrote a second song that fits with it. Um,
2: I I watched that because I'm like, it's such an unexpected pairing of people. Mm -hmm. Maybe this would work. And then you listen to it and you're like, this is a holiday classic. Totally.
1: (laughs) I didn't know that's how Peace on Earth was written. So that's interesting. And that part's unexpected, but the overall thing isn't. Where I landed... Um, usually when I can't pick a song I fixate on a word in the theme and feel like I'm outsmarting the world by doing that Um, and I fixated on unexpected and I decided to me when I think unexpected and I think music I think hidden tracks Uh, so I googled Christmas hidden tracks and this song came up
0: So, Mahaya, what are we listening to? <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> we are currently listening to, unbelievably, a Rolling Stones track from the album Their Satanic Majesty's Request, 1967. I totally i am going to screw up the exact title of the song.
0: Sing this all together, see what happens.
1: Thank you. Yes, yeah, <laughs> sing this all together, in parentheses, see what happens. I kept saying, watch what happens, and I wanted to make sure I didn't do that.
2: Wait, but so... How did you get Christmas here? Uh-huh.
1: So just to get right to that so that you guys don't doubt me for half of the segment, the working title of this album was Cosmic Christmas.
0: Okay, so the title they decided not okay. to use.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this full track isn't actually the hidden track. This is just the track that the hidden track is part of. <laughs> At the very <laughs> end of this eight-minute track <laughs> of nonsense um, is... Carter, do you you just want to give us that clip?
2: Is that a theremin or just like radiostatic?
1: So this is the hidden track on it. It is essentially a theremin playing something resembling We Wish You a Merry Christmas. You get a little bit of a rhythmic figure from Jingle Bells on a percussion instrument of some sort as well. The lore around it is that listeners were supposed to, at a certain moment in the song, speed their record players up from 33 to 45. I, with the help of um, Soundfly head of production, John Hole, figured out how to fake that in Logic. Carter, do you want to give us that? right? I mean, so it's, it's not as cool as I think they thought it was. It is technically a Christmas song.
0: I have to, well, I have to say just for the cohesiveness of the episode, I applaud you for picking a track that when I first listened to it, well, this is Spinal Tap Mach 2. This is when they did their uh, improvised free jazz. <laughs> um, so I applaud the selection for that. The first time I listened to this track, I went for a run. I do not recommend that <laughs> at all. Uh, It was jarring There's a
2: moment two-thirds of the way in Where just men are moaning Yep Not like in a sexual way Just moaning And that lasts for like a while
1: It kind of sounds like Sympathy for the Devil Which is my favorite Rolling Stones song Wow, this is a really Mm -hmm. devilish episode in some ways (laughs) I know you guys, we went really dark It sounded silly in the context of this song, but after listening to it multiple times and nearly losing my sanity entirely, it occurred to me that it sounds a little like Moments in Sympathy for the Devil. I'm just pointing out like 1967, Sympathy comes out in 1971. I feel like there were things they tried here that they were like, let's bring that back a little bit more.
0: The the sing this all together and and the track sing this all together from yeah, the first from track really on the, on the record is an awesome track it's it's really great and I just want to hear more of that like the first I, <laughs> I was trying to find little moments in the first seven minutes like when the sax come in I couldn't pin that down and I wasn't going to listen to the whole song again I just wasn't going to do that <laughs> it's very creative it's awesome uh, but <laughs>
1: let's take a step back for a second let's talk about this album so listen to this closely. <laughs>
2: Is that just someone coughing in the track? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm listening closely. <laughs>
1: okay, so this you should know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: When their Satanic Majesty's request came out, which was the same year as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, um, it was criticized as being highly derivative. Mm. I'm still unclear as to whether The Stones intended for it to be sort of a tongue-in-cheek parody of psychedelia or if they were, you know, trying to get in on that movement. It is the only one of their albums that falls into this genre and this world. It's like very on-the-nose derivative of The Beatles in certain points. Yeah, In a 1970 Rolling Stone interview, Lennon said on the topic of Mick Jagger, Every f-ing thing we did, Mick does exactly the same. He imitates us. And I would like one of you f-ing underground people <laughs> to point it out. You know, Satanic Majesties is Pepper. We love you. It's the most. F-ing That's all you need is love. So, I mean, that said, on the track "We Love You," which was recorded while this album was being recorded, but doesn't appear on it, which I agree is basically all you need is love. John Lennon and Paul McCartney are part of the background choir.
0: Whoa.
2: That's such good celebrity gossip.
0: If they intentionally were parodying uh, psychedelia and, and that style of music, then I'm all in. That's awesome, and that's hilarious, and like make a record like that. That's amazing. But if it's well, still, it all circles
2: it just, back like, around. This is our favorite parody band. Yeah, Maybe uh, the Rolling Stones in 1967. <laughs> the Rolling Stones is Mahaya's favorite parody band. We finally got there, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, I
1: sort of buy the parody angle to an extent because there are elements, particularly of sing this all together, watch what happens, that feel like they're making fun of things like the mellotron at the beginning sounds identical to strawberry fields but the melody isn't quite as cool that said they went in pretty deep if this was a joke the album artwork yeah (laughs) looks almost identical to sergeant not identical but it's It's very similar. similar that cover photo was shot in 3d using the only 3d capable camera in that capacity at the time So they flew a guy in from Japan to shoot that album and printed limited edition 3D album covers. If it was a joke, (laughs) it's a deep joke. I think more likely like they wanted to do something psychedelic. They supposedly did little to no planning for this album. So I think they kind of got in the studio and figured out, well, what sounds psychedelic? And because it was 1967, Sergeant Peppers was the answer to that question.
0: I have forgotten the theme.
1: Um, I know, again, I'm talking about the album more than I'm talking about the track, but it's hard to break that track down in a specific way, and the album has a lot to discuss. <laughs> yeah. In spite of the fact that it isn't one of their best love albums, there are a couple of really good standout tracks. Citadel's great. She's a Rainbow is great. In Another Land is pretty good. It's the only Rolling Stone song that features Bill Wyman's vocals, mm. but to feed into them deciding everything was a joke, which... Maybe it's just that it was 1967 and there were like drug arrests and management changes and all kinds of things going on with them. I don't know. But that track ends with a sample of Bill Wyman snoring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. It, does, it doesn't even just kind of have it. Like I thought it, oh man.
2: What did you say that they wanted to call the album Christmas something?
1: Well, the working title was Cosmic Christmas. I don't know where that working title came from. That
2: was going to be my question was, is there any reason that exists on the internet that we could find as to why the working title for the album <laughs> was Cosmic Christmas? Did they record it at Christmas? I'm just, I'm fishing for more reveals. Yeah, yeah. I want more secret tracks. <laughs> Not that I know of, but I promise you I'm
1: going to keep digging. <laughs> a lot of it was recorded in parts and individually because they were dealing with so much chaos in their personal and professional lives at the time. And it sounds disjointed so that that adds up.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, yeah. Um,
1: If you listen to that first track I do think that's a more respectful interpretation of psychedelic rock for sure. Mm -hmm. The other track I legitimately love on this album is She's a Rainbow.
0: See the sky in front of you
1: this song does sound more Christmassy to me, even though it isn't. This is another stretch, another reach for me, in making things unexpected. The strings in this track, which is not the track I picked, <laughs> were arranged by John Paul Jones.
0: Oh, uh, bassist for
1: Led Zeppelin after the fact. It's not just
0: bassist, but like, oh, mandolin player, organ player. That reason why I picked up the bass, John J P J, John Paul Jones. That See? just blew unexpected, my mind. That's right? amazing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, those are really the big things that I had to say. I did just Google on my phone while talking to you, something I should have Googled sooner. I usually do. Can't believe I didn't. There is a little bit of a Christmas tie-in. It's possible this was meant to be a Christmas album through and through. It was released on December 8th.
2: Okay.
0: If you have more to talk about the track, of course, but I'm dying to know, would this go on your holiday playlist? <laughs> uh, is it going to go on my playlist for the holidays? <laughs> no. No, it's not. But Yeah, uh, I'm,
2: I'm going hard no- but the reveal was absolutely worth it.
1: I don't ever want to hear the song again. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I was going to say that too.
1: I do have a closing question for the two of you. Yes. So, on the topic of just like more serious music, what are some things that you think like a good, warm, cozy Christmas song, not the three we chose, has?
0: I. I don't love Christmas music I just don't So I, I'm like the wrong person I think like Because th- I think the reason I don't love it Is because Like mid-November you're, you're inundated with it
2: I also feel like The wrong person For that to be Asked of me Because my Legit favorite Christmas song Is The Pogues Fairy Tale of New York <laughs> Which starts With two people Arrested for having Been drunk
0: It was Christmas Eve.
1: I got a couple for you. A lot of classic Christmas music sounds like jazz standards. You know, just like these super singable, catchy melodies that have rather basic forms you know like you've got a verse and sometimes you have a chorus sometimes it's just like a a a -A type form where it's verses i think that you get seventh chords in a way that you don't in a lot of popular styles of music which again sounds like old jazz standards more nerd talk things like secondary dominance are more prevalent than they might be in other styles and then also like you know the piano factors in a lot like the guitar on occasion but it's a really piano heavy style
2: i feel like we have to say just me and carter have to say the words Anne murray because if you have a (laughs) podcast with two canadians on it and you about christmas songs and you don't say Anne murray there are stocks in a town square with your name on them and i just want to make sure (laughs) we're okay this holiday season
0: and that's going to do it for another episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know what tracks you feel are unexpected holiday songs. There is a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for themes for a future episode, we love hearing from you. Drop us a line at podcast at Be sure to remember soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.